It is a little amusing, but it is also kind of uh, frightening. Uh, when you think about uh, how maybe we've humanized God in our thoughts, and because of the way we humanized Him, made Him small like us, uh, therefore how He's not a big enough God for us. You know, A.W. Tozer, uh, he was a famous preacher and writer in the, early, in the mid-1950s, and um, he once asked the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? He said that the most important thing that a person could ever think is a thought about God. He said from that one thought, we can predict that person's spiritual future. Do you, do you agree or disagree? You know, think about it. What, what if your God that you've imagined or you've been told about is actually smaller than the God who is real, who is the maker of all of heaven and earth and the universe. You know, J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small, and he gave instances of how we humanize God in our mind and our thoughts and, and therefore making him small. The, there's the, the God in the box that we just saw, the God who is the angry cop, the, the Santa Claus God. And you can go on and on with these false images we sometimes conjure in our minds, humanizing God so that we can somehow understand who he is. James Smith, the writer of uh, The Good and Beautiful God, calls these false narratives and, or false stories that we have in our mind that distort the truth of who God is. So how in the world do we find the true picture, the reality of who God is? Well, if I wanted to get the truest picture of a historical figure who's no longer living, I would go and uh, there's maybe three different things I would do. I, maybe I'd go get a fictionalized novel. Say maybe, uh, let's say it's Winston Churchill. I want to know about Winston Churchill. So I, I get a fictionalized novel. I could do that. Or I could go and I could get a biography that was written uh, by someone who maybe was a contemporary or lived uh, uh, within the same age. Uh, recently after him, uh, or maybe I could get an autobiography. You know, a, a fictionalized novel might be exciting to me, uh, that has a fun storyline, uh, and it's based in the time and place. It gives me a context. It gives me an understanding of the world that Winston Churchill would have lived in, but it would not give me really the true conversations and interactions that Winston Churchill had. Now, if I got a biography, uh, that would probably uh, be correct in giving me a, a timeline of the actions of this person, of, of Winston Churchill, and what he did, maybe even a few speeches uh, that would, would share his thoughts, but it would not give me his personal thoughts on those events and, and the things that he was involved in. But an autobiography written by Winston Churchill could give me the most accurate image of how this person thought of himself and his motives and his thoughts behind his actions. Well, I want to assert that the Bible is God's autobiography. It is the best way that we can know about God and his thoughts towards man and humankind and his perspective on life. Yet some of us have still not read God's thoughts for ourselves. We take secondhand information Take what's, what is someone else's biography on God. What if it's not accurate? 
What if what we heard on whatever the latest TV show is on the History Channel, what if it's the latest thing that we heard on the news or from the latest pop psychologist? What if we're just taking it from our friend or maybe, maybe it's even from a preacher? You know, preachers might get it wrong. Some of us have done this in church. You know, there are pastors who have unknowingly reinforced false views of God. Some, some pastors unknowingly portray an image of, of God the Father who, who's a parent that we can never satisfy and, have, and we always have to try to earn his approval but can never get it. Sometimes there are pastors and preachers that they, they give this uh, false image of God as, as the angry cop who's just so eager to find what you did wrong and to punish you. <coughs> Excuse me. To punish you. <coughs> oh, sorry, recovering from a cold. Sometimes we also get this image, sometimes from churches, um, of, of this raging parent, the raging one, that God is, is someone we better stay clear of. Or maybe unknowingly churches have also portrayed this image of, of God as, as some sort of glory hound. You know, someone who all he cares about is his own glory. Instead of maybe a pastor, a friend, or a parent, or latest guru on the internet, we need to go directly to the Lord. Say, Lord, show me who you are. And I want to assert that Jesus gives us the real story of who God is to replace our false stories that have been impressed upon us. So for the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about the Father, about the Spirit, and about the Son. His direct words that are found in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17. And today I want to show you, through John 14 through 17, how Jesus tells us that the Father is good. He tells us the Father is generous, the Father is holy, and the Father is self-sacrificing. You know, Jesus called God Father. A Father who loved Him before the creation of the world. Jesus spoke of his father with love and as one that he loved. And he was always confident of his father's love. There was no doubt in Jesus about the father's love for him. It was a mutual love. The father loved Jesus and Jesus loved the father. And they both tried to honor one another. Now, some of us didn't grow up with great earthly daddies that loved us well. But even though some of us may have not experienced the love from an earthly daddy who honored his son or honored his daughter or been in a relationship with a daddy where we in turn honored their da our daddy. Can't you imagine something like that? Can't you picture that? Jesus said that, that he was the true vine and his father was the gardener. You know what a gardener does? He oversees and he tends to the plants in his garden. His attention and care is for the purpose of seeing those plants grow and to thrive. And maybe you felt like instead you've had someone in your life, maybe a parent or a boss or some other authority figure, 
who instead was always watching you not to tend and to nurture, but to define whenever you made a mistake and to come down on you. Maybe that's what you've experienced instead. They weren't watching you to nurture you. Maybe you haven't experienced it yourself, but can't you imagine what it would be like if there was someone, an authority or a parent or somebody that was in your life and they were watching you to nurture you so that you could thrive, so you could do well, you could do great. Instead of thinking of the angry authority figure, can you imagine our good God desiring to tend and care for you like a gardener? Our good God desiring to honor you like a proud daddy would for his son or for his daughter. That's the kind of father Jesus had and how he described his father, a good father, and he wants to share his father with us. Jesus says, You have the love of his Father by simply believing. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and and have believed that I came from God. And why does Jesus say that he was sent from God, sent by his Father? He says in John 17, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you get that? As much as the Father loves Jesus, He loves you. You ever wish that you had a good daddy? One like Jesus had? You got one. You can have one. One of the most beautiful things that we overlook in the prayer that Jesus taught us is that Jesus doesn't say, My Father who art in heaven. He says, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus says, God the Father is good and He desires to be your Father too. The Father is good. You know, the other mistaken conception of the Father is that we humanize Him and and think of Him as some stingy person or, or someone we always have to work to earn their approval, or work to earn their love. And Jesus doesn't describe his relationship with the Father like that. You know, and, okay, I'm going to go outside of John just for one moment. You've got to give me this one, okay? In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that the Father causes the Son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The Father is liberal and generous. Jesus does not describe some sort of mean, crazy being that we have to earn something from. The Father likes to give good gifts, not pay wages. In fact, here in John, Jesus says to his Father, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And it seems that Jesus really believes that all the Father gives him will never run out, nor will there, there be some sort of scarcity Jesus turns and he gives everything the Father gives him and he gives it away. Everything. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Instead of like, I got this private gated mansion and it's all for me because I deserve it. He's like, no man, there's all these rooms and and my Father is a big house. He wants you to come and you, you can stay over. 
Come on. Jesus also seems to share all the family secrets. I call you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So Jesus says you can stay over at his house, that he'll let you in on all the family secrets. And then Jesus says, in effect, well, guess what? Here's the password to my Father's heavenly account. (laughs) It's a real easy password to remember. He used my name, Jesus. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. I know that maybe you grew up maybe with some Depression-era parents or grandparents, and maybe you've lived under the rule, nothing is for free, you got to earn it all. But can you imagine a daddy who says, I, I want to give this gift to you? No, it's, it's not because of your grade card. No, I'm not, I'm not giving you a gift because you got an A on your card. No, this, this wasn't about being good because, in fact, you haven't been. And, and no, I'm not giving you this gift because you did your chores because you didn't. I just want to give this gift to you because I, I just want to. Can you imagine a daddy, a father like that? Can you imagine a generous father? Jesus says, God the Father, his father, your father is generous. The other mistaken perception that we sometimes try to humanize God to understand is is that he's some sort of raging parent, one who just is, is out of control. There's, you know, we're, we've done these wrong things, and he is so mad because we've done these wrong things. And we have this, this image. Or we go to the other extreme, and, and it's kind of like, ah, he, he doesn't care what we do. You know, there's no curfews, no rules. Come and go as you want, do as you please. You know, he's, he's the permissive parent. But Jesus didn't relate to his father in either of these ways. Jesus related to his father like this. He said, the world must learn that I love the father. And I do exactly what my father commands. Jesus didn't have a raging father, but instead his father was righteous. I wouldn't use the word righteous to a, a person who is a, a raging parent. Well, they're really righteous. I just wouldn't use that word. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. Jesus has regard for his Father as holy, set apart, different. He wants to please the Father and do what he, what he wants, to do what is right, to not do what is sinful. That's what's in Jesus' heart towards his Father. And yet, we, we sometimes have this thought where, where we go to this other extreme of, ah, oh, God, he doesn't really care about how we live or care about our sin. Psh, look, you know, that, that may seem plausible when, when you think about the grace of God, to think of him as a permissive parent, but, but the truth is that God is holy, and, and you really don't want an un- unholy God. No way. Because being soft on sin is not loving. Because sin destroys. Jesus tells us we have a father who hates anything that harms you. And he longs for holiness in us because it's the way to wholeness. Instead of being broken, being whole. Look, 
that there is no sin, there is no darkness, no evil in God the Father. And He desires us to be just as sound as He is. The Father is holy. And Jesus doesn't describe the Father in a rage either. God is not wrathful. God's wrath is just an act of an holy God. Wrath is, is a consistent opposition to sin and evil. And if there was no sin in the world, there would be no wrath. God the Father does care about sin because sin destroys you. And God cares about you. And so He will be against anything that harms you. So He is against sin. Jesus says, God the Father, His Father, your Father, is holy. Another false image that we have of God that really doesn't jive with what Jesus said about the Father is that the Father is some sort of narcissist glory hound. You know, maybe you ran into one of these guys in, in high school, uh, the star football player who's got to have the letter jacket with all the award patches down his arm, and, and, and he has his groupies follow him everywhere, continually laughing at his dumb jokes that really aren't funny, and, and telling him how great he is. You know, maybe our churches have perpetuated this image of God to outsiders when they hear us speak of giving glory to God, honoring His name, and even making Him uh, famous, we use the words. But let me tell you what, what Jesus said about the Father. Jesus said that at the heart of the universe that the Father created is this principle. Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. The power of a seed is when it dies. God himself lives in self-giving and self-sacrifice. He came as the Son, leaving the glory of heaven behind to walk on earth as a man. He took the risk of not being loved in return when he loved us first by sending the Son. Jesus said, he who hates me hates my Father as well. God loved us first knowing that we could have rejected that. He took the risk. The truth is that Jesus shows us that we don't work our way to the Father, but the Father is working His way to us. He sent His Son to die on the cross. That is the sacrifice of a Father. He chose to save us in a self-sacrificing way. We were completely corrupt, and He was complete in corruption. Our corruption couldn't be removed without death, so He took on a body capable of death, and then died a public, humiliating, dishonorable death. God humbled himself in the Son. The Son didn't try to grasp at equality with God, but humbled himself to a death on the cross. The cross is a symbol of God's love and sacrifice for you and me. And every time, uh, it's not up here, every time you see the cross, you should know and remember that our God, the Father, is self-sacrificing. And, it's, and the cross is the paradox of self-sacrifice because Jesus chose to die and humbled himself. The Father was pleased to exalt him to the highest place. The Father chooses to glorify the Son and the Son chooses to glorify the Father. Jesus tells us the Father, his Father, your Father, is self-sacrificing. So now we have a choice. We can choose to continue living with our false narratives of who we think God the Father is, 
Or we can choose the true narrative from Jesus and what he says about the Father. What we think about God is the most important thought we can ever think, for it will determine the direction of our life. Because the truth is that we become like our idols. We become like our false gods. You know, several times I've mentioned how sometimes our false narratives have been shaped by our parents or some other authority figure in our life. We say to ourselves, well, man, they were really poor as an authority figure in my life in this area, so I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to do that. And yet in time, as you get older, you find that you're becoming like that parent. You're becoming like that authority figure. Why? Why do we see that repeatedly? And it can be documented and by psychologists and, 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 and all kinds of recording, but it's because you still got the false narrative. You still got the false image in your head. And even though you say you reject it, I'm not going to be like that, that false thing. I'm not going to be like that. Yet you don't turn to something else. And so you wander aimlessly. And eventually, because you're dealing with the unfamiliar and what you don't know, you'll end up going back to what you do know. You'll go back to the false image and so, what you have to do, you have to get rid of the false image, but you've got to hold up the new picture, the true narrative. You've got to move towards it, or else you'll always move back to the old. Without the new narrative to move towards the narrative Jesus tells about the Father, you'll regrettably move towards the old narrative. Jesus said the Father is good. He said the Father is generous. He said the Father is holy. He said the Father is self-sacrificing. This is what He said about His Father, your Father. And we need to choose with our minds, with our thinking. Are we going to embrace what Jesus said about the Father? Are we going to hang on to the false conceptions that we've been told or impressed upon by other people. You have a choice, and you need to choose that. Choose what is good, what is right, what Jesus tells us. I, right now, in, in just closing this time and moving into our worship, what I'd really like to do is, I'd like you to pray with me a prayer to know our God better. It's a prayer that's found uh, in, in the letter to the, the Ephesian people. Paul prayed this for them. He said, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So what he's saying is that you need wisdom from God to know him better. You need revelation. You need some revealing. Like you, you need the curtains pulled back from your eyes to be able to know him better. And this is, is the prayer that, that i like us to pray together. And just to pray it out loud together, and then as we continue in our worship, for us to be praying it silently as we worship. So would you, would you stand with me? And, you know, pray this if you mean this. Do you really, is this what you want? Do you really want to know God better? If, if not, then you don't have to pray this. This is, this is a voluntary thing. But if you feel like you can say this and mean it, then, then do. All right? So here we go. Glorious Father,
Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so I may know you better. Lord, may it be so. May it be true. In Jesus' name, amen.